Hi, I'm Shannon Torrance, and this is Magic is Real. Today, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with David Ditchfield. David was dragged under a train during a freak accident, and while surgeons were frantically working to keep him alive, David was experiencing a profound and beautiful near-death experience. As David was healing and getting used to being back in his body, he found that he'd acquired some astounding new abilities. The first is that he was able to recreate scenes from the afterlife via painting. The second is that without any training or ability to read or write music, he was able to compose these beautiful, divinely inspired pieces. Thank you so much for watching Magic is Real on YouTube or listening to it as a podcast. Now here's my interview with David Ditchfield. Shannon Torrance, and this is Magic is Real. Thank you so much for being here and for watching today. I have with me a guest that I've been really looking forward to speaking with. I've been aware of you, David, for quite some time, for probably years, because I am someone who has watched every near-death experience testimony online, um, and I've been very interested in this, this field for a long time, and I've read a lot of books. So David Ditchfield um, is coming to us from the UK. He was dragged under a train, had a near-death experience, um, came out of this near-death experience a composer and an artist when he had not formally been trained before. But not only is he a composer and an artist, he also, uh, these, these pieces that he's composed and, and um, created are near-death experience inspired. Uh, David is also the author of a book called Shine On, and I recommend that everyone read it. So I um, will have him save some of the details because I do want you to read the book. But David, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you, Shannon, for having me here. Yeah, it's My great to be here. Pleasure. What I really want to start with is um, before we jump into what actually happened is I'd love to know about you, whatever you're comfortable sharing in terms of yeah, what was sure. your life like? Who? What was your, um, an, a question I often ask is growing up, what was your um, familiarity with religion, with spirituality, what your beliefs may have been before this happened, and basically just who you, who were you, and what was your life like? Yeah, sure. No, it's worth. That's a good question because it's worth pointing out that my life was very different before. Um, interestingly enough, I I grew up in a family where my parents uh, were Christian, so they used to take us to, to church uh, when we were kids, and I I never felt comfortable. Uh, being in the church uh, I, I wasn't atheist or anything but I just thought no this isn't for me and they were very liberal so they're quite happy for me to sort of um, say okay you can stay at home so and I never really thought about my faith or my religion or anything from that moment on and uh, my life kind of got to a stage where it didn't really come into my sort of sphere into my social sort of groups or anything so yeah I never thought about faith or, yeah. you know, any belief in anything, really, yeah, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I sort of had that same thing. I think my dad would probably be an atheist. My mother was more open-minded. And one of my friends went to church. And I wanted, just because I was a kid, I was like, well, Andrea goes to church. So my parents said, oh, <laughs> yeah, if you'd exactly. like to explore it, we'll take you there. And they were like, this is boring. We don't want, we don't want to be here in the Methodist church. And so my mom said, all right, let's because I'd love for you to have that sense of community, we'll go to um, the uh, non-denominational church um, and just kind of 
have a place to go on Sundays where it's more of a community, but I was sort of the same way where I'm, I'm like, yeah, I don't know about religion. Um, so then after your, your childhood, what, what, what was David Ditchfield doing with his life at, around? Well, this he moved to London. Yeah. I moved to London. Uh, and I sat out there because um, I couldn't find any work because I'd left school on dyslexic. And uh, I didn't realize that at the time, they never told me. <laughs> and uh, I left school without qualifications. So it was a struggle to find work. So I thought I'm gonna move to London and uh, just see what I can find there. And uh, yeah, it, like all capital cities, you, you, look, you think it's gonna be the, the, the land of opportunity, which it is, you know, but it's also very highly competitive. Um, so most of the work that I could pick up there really was uh, was manual labouring. So I was picking up work um, in, in my local bar, basically, and, uh, and and doing whatever was going on, building sites, construction sites. And, and I struggled at that, too, because I wasn't really cut out for that kind of work. You know, these guys are really skilled. You know, I've got such respect for anybody who's doing that kind of work now. It's, you know, it's, a, it's an art form in itself. And I, I was just useless at it. So... I was constant. the gears were grinding throughout most of my life uh, because I thought, where do I fit in? How do you do life? How do you fit into this, this world, you know? So, yeah, so, so life was kind of a struggle. So I could have done with having a bit of faith, to be honest with you, but that wasn't yeah. to be the case. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> in reading the beginning parts of your book, since I haven't had, you know, time to read all of it yet, um, the, just even from the opening chapter, it kind of, I feel that without saying too much about your life, I think that there, I, I wonder what you would think about this, if there is a reason why you had this near-death experience, which we'll get to, but it, it, yeah. it feels like in a sense, it was sort of meant to show you your purpose, but we all, all I don't mm. want to put words in your mouth. So um, I, I know you're correct. There, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It kind of feels like there was a reason why this happened. And so um yeah because I think there was a lot going on with you. So um, why don't we go to, again, with all due reverence to the fact that this was a traumatic incident, um, tell us what happened. Sure, well, I was, I was seeing a friend off at a rail station and um, uh, she'd been spending a few days with me. I'd, I'd only met her a couple of weeks uh, prior to this, but we got this connection. We just kind of like, you know, we seemed to like hit it off really well with each other and, and connected. And so she spent a couple of days with me and um, she had to go back. So anyway, I, I was at the, at the station and uh, helped her onto the onto the carriage, you know, onto the car, as, as you would call it, with, with her bags, you know. And um, then we heard the automatic buses going for the doors about to close. So as, as I stepped back, the bottom part of my coat got trapped in those doors you know and it was just like it was just horrendous you know because it was it was firmly jammed in there it was like a very thick uh quality sheepskin coat that I was wearing that time so it wasn't going to pull free um I looked around and uh, you know and I, I looked in, in hope that the, a guard might turn up on the platform you know but there was nobody there no guard working on that station but there was no one around just one of the guy who was seeing off his girlfriend and he said to me, take your coat off, mate, take it off, you know, but there's no way I was going to pull it free um, because uh, of the quality of it. it was, so anyhow, the train revved up the engines and I remember looking into the eyes of, um, of my friend Anna and I just saw sheer terror in her face. And so I, I figured at that point, I thought, this is it. I'm going to die. I thought I'm not going to survive this because I'm not going to pull free. So the train started pulling out the station at terrific speed. Yeah, it really accelerated out. I felt every gear change shifting in there. 
then I lost my footing and I was dragged along the platform and then between the space of the platform edge and then the speeding train and under uh, under I went right under and um, I was just tossed around relentlessly and uh, it was like it was a very violent and uh, horrific experience and it, that seemed to go on forever and um, then I was suddenly thrown uh, down between the tracks as the train continued on and I'd just been through what felt like a, a complete horrible mitzah and there I was lying down face down into the gravel and I knew it still wasn't over yet so I just kept my face down and hoped that it wouldn't something wouldn't hit me over the back of the head still because that would be it and thankfully that didn't happen and it just disappeared off down down the track you know all that violence and all that sand all that darkness disappeared and there I was facing a beautiful blue light sky you know that had never looked so good <laughs> wow yeah and yeah. I, when you're describing that when you're in a, a situation like that Buster, please. When, when you're in a situation like that, where you are, I've always heard from different people like, oh, when I got shot, I didn't feel it because your body sort of goes into adrenaline mode. Um, you know, yes. do you, when that's happening, are you sort of in a shock mode where you feel, it sounds like you're feeling, you're describing the tumbling. Was Did you feel physical pain at that time? Or was it more just like a lot of rolling around and, and be, the sensation of being jostled around? Well, well, the pain was intense, incredibly intense. And, uh, you know, my left arm had got severed in the, in the accident. And so it was very painful. Um, but yeah, it, it was interesting that, that um, the way I describe it is, is I remember when I was a kid getting in, in a fight at school, like all, all boys do, you know, and I remember the first punch really hurt. Then after that, I didn't really feel all the others, you know, so it's, yeah. there is a sense of that goes on. Yeah. But the other thing that was interesting was as um, time, it wasn't like slow motion, but time stretched. And, and I've, I've since learned that this what happens. Uh, there's a, a guy called Dr. David Eagleman who's based out in the US and he does uh, studies into the brain. And he said that this happens when people are facing death like myself, when they're about to die, you know, and they're, ha they're hanging on for life, but, you know, fight or flight, when they go into fight mode, that you'll you, your brain becomes almost like a three a 35 mil camera that can see every, everything and take everything in and it did so it felt like i was like thinking it through and so there was a sense of that going on as well there was a sense of me trying to hang on to life you know and, and try and i just felt like it was me this flesh and bones against this huge hunk of machinery and i thought you're not going to take me you know so i was determined to survive yeah. Yeah, that's that's really traumatic. And so at what point were you suddenly not in that body anymore? It was when uh, when they got me off the track and uh, the the emergency guys they they got me into hospital. It was a 20 minute drive down the down the highway and then we got into the emergency department. There was a team of medics <clears throat> all waiting for me. And I remember there was an awful lot of um, sort of franticness in their voices. And I, I was thinking it's not over yet. I was pretty scared because they sounded scared and I couldn't understand what the heck they were talking about. Um, but my family arrived as well. They got there. Again, time all seemed like really strange because I thought, wow, how did they get here? You know, so they were there and uh, my mother was in tears and, and she was there, you know, and I was apologizing to her. I said, mom, I'm so sorry. It's always me bringing drama to this family, you know, and those, the one who's in the mess here, you know, but as she said, it's not your fault, which it wasn't. And it was that pretty much at that point that I left my body. 
I went from all the, um, the sort of the high drama of that hospital to a beautiful, calm place. It was like, I describe it as what felt like a darkened room initially. And it was like, but not a foreboding darkness. It was like a beautiful, calm darkness. And it was like I was greeted by these uh, beautiful landing lights, if you like, that these beautiful orbs of color that were slowly pulsating all around me. So I felt calm instantly. But I also felt, you know, a sense of, I hadn't made it. I thought I'd died straight away. I thought, okay, this is it. I'm, I, I'm dead. Um, I didn't resist it. Um, I, I since learned that some people do resist it. You know, they've got too much to come back for their kids and stuff. I certainly didn't want to die, but it was just such a beautiful calmness after what I'd just been through that I just went with it. And um, I laid back my head and I just suddenly discovered I was no longer on a hospital trolley, but I was on a huge slate rock, which sounds bizarre because it would not normally be comfortable to lie on something like that, but this time it was. And um, I realized I was no longer clothed, but I was covered in like a, like a blue satin sheet or a silky sheet, which felt very comforting. And there was like this kind of white light that was reflecting off the sheet. And I just thought, you know, what's, where's that coming from? So I looked up and there were three grids of white light, like very symmetrical grids that were slowly closing in towards me. And as they came in close, I, I could not take my gaze away because the energy of whiteness that was coming from this light was so intense and bright uh, that I felt it was healing me. I felt a sense of I was being calmed and healed from this light. And um, I just decided to lay back and, and bathe in this, in this beautiful energy. And um, it was at that point that I felt the presence of, of somebody uh, had arrived at, at the scene. And, uh, and there was, I, I opened my eyes and lifted my head and just ahead of me was um, a beautiful uh, androgynous being just stood at my feet, um, wearing a very contemporary black t-shirt and, uh, and just um, a beautiful white blonde hair and this, and this skin that was glowing light from within. So this, this beautiful, it was like an, an amber sort of light that was coming from this, this person. Well, it was more golden actually, it was lighter than amber. And, uh, and I just knew this person's face and I was very familiar with not only with the person's face, but with them. And I said, who are you? I know you, don't I? I know you, you know. And uh, this androgynous being just kind of kept smiling back at me and, uh, and just kept me calm, you know. And, and so I just thought, I felt guarded. I felt safe with this person. I felt this person was, was whatever was going to happen next was going to take care of me. And... Um, I laid my head back and decided just to continue uh, enjoying the, this energy that was coming through. And I suddenly realized a bit later on that there were two other f uh, forms of uh, light that have appeared either side of me in female form. And one was a more sort of like sort of uh, uh, sort of um, European, I guess, kind of white cohesion with a, with a simple brown dress on and, and long brown hair. Whereas the, the other girl was more Asian, Indian, American Indian in appearance, and she was wearing more traditional dress. And they just had their hands um, slowly sort of hovering over the, over the top of my body, you know, not touching it, just kind of just hovering over. And I just felt that they were healing me from the trauma of the accident, healing my body, 
which is uh, as I looked to check my body as well, and everything was back intact. You know, my my left arm, which had been severed, was now completely healed. There's not even a scratch. But I figured, well, if that's the case, I, I'm I'm sensing that they're actually healing my soul. My you know, I thought this. I'm in the pure essence of my my soul here, and they're healing my soul. All the kind of personal sort of um, baggage that I carried throughout my life that we all do, you know, and all the, all the knocks that I'd taken, I felt those were all being healed. And, and I suddenly felt at one for the first time. And so it was a tremendous feeling to, to be in that, you know, into that for the first time ever. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, obviously in our earthly plane, that's not, I think we all, we talk about unconditional love, but that's not yeah. really something we can ever achieve because it doesn't mean that I don't, you know, if I, uh, my, my child or my partner or my um, parent does something terrible. It doesn't mean I don't love them anymore, but I'm still not, mm. there's never really going to be total unconditional love where it's like, I don't, I'm not, rec you know, I'm not recognizing that that yeah. didn't happen. And, I, and right, when yeah. people talk about it, about going to the other side or, whatever you want to call it, because it's really here with us at the same time that uh, there is no love like that, where it's just pure love. Absolutely. There's no conditions on it at all. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with uh, the, anything other than that you're just pure light and pure soul. Not, not because, oh, I really like this person and they've really endeared themselves to me, but that you're just given that pure love. And that's such a relief think even because here in this world, it's hard to even find self-love. That's actually probably the hardest thing to find. So it sounds mm. like that was that pure being at peace with yourself, not only physical yeah. pain, but just, oh my gosh, letting go. I'm sure it's going to feel like such a relief when we all get there um, because it's so hard yeah. to be free of judgment here about yourself, about other people. Um, yeah. And so to you, how I understand that there's no time, that time is an illusion to you, how much time would you say this felt like to you? Or was, or was there the sense of there was no time? There was a total sense that there's no time. It was really apparent to me um, because <clears throat> I realized that up until that point, because I'd, to be honest with you, I'd hit rock bottom, I'd hit hard times just before the actual accident. So I'd run out of work, I'd run out of money and I was, I was about to lose my, my apartment. And uh, so, you know, I would, I was always, my whole life was led being concerned about what had happened in the past. You know, I was always thinking, why did I mess up there? Why didn't I go through that door? How come I let this happen to me? You know, all these things that piled up on my shoulders. Not only that, I was thinking, what's going to happen tomorrow? How am I going to get into, out of this situation? So there was, I was never in the present moment, never. Whereas now all of a sudden I realized that I was. And I realized for the first time that the past no longer existed and no longer mattered. And neither did the future. The future didn't exist. I didn't concern myself with the future or where I was going to go next or what was going to happen next. And it was like a beautiful moment uh, to, to feel that. And it's something that I, I feel that is really important. One of the most important things that I brought back from that experience is to try and be in that present moment because that's it's it's a, it's a wonderful place to be. So in saying that, it, it was really hard to sort of you can't just really put it to, to, you know, minutes and, you know, or seconds or hours or whatever, you know, it's, it's you, because you're not concerned, you're not concerned with it, with the time. 
uh, you just all you're concerned with is the fact that it's uh, it's really beautiful where you're feeling and and it's just and for for the first time I felt like I knew myself as well you know I was suddenly connecting with myself and I'd never done that before and I never realized that either yeah yeah that's why it really struck me that the way you describe that is exactly what you needed at that time unfortunately mm. in a painful manner I wish you hadn't had to go through that but it feels sure. as if there was that sense of being lost or drift sort of drifting or not knowing what your anchor was and so you needed to yeah. be reminded of like you are your you are the anchor you are that touchstone and you are enough the way you are which is hard in this world because obviously we have to make a living and we have to support ourselves exactly. so it's not for nothing yeah. but that there's nothing wrong with you you are perfect you're perfect and there's nothing you did wrong this is all just part of your path so yeah. at what point so was there more that you experienced what was it that drew you back into yeah. your body? Um, well, it was it was a, it was a very final part of my NDE that, that drew me back into my body, and uh, it, because it was the most profound moments, because it was it was all about learning really while I was there. There was a lot of telepathy coming through, and there was a lot of self knowledge that was suddenly appearing to me, you know. And uh, but the most profound moment was when I felt this energy of unconditional love. Uh, that you, you use that phrase that's absolutely true and uh, it was turned up like somebody had turned a huge dial up and I felt like every molecule in my body was starting to vibrate with this energy and I thought wow what is going on and and I looked before I felt it you know and uh, sorry I felt it before I looked and then I opened my eyes and I saw this huge tunnel of white light that was just slowly closing in towards me from behind the being of light and it was just like wow this is just like awesome it's just like the most when I say awesome, I mean, it was just like all inspiring, like sort of unbelievable. Like I've never seen anything like it in my life, obviously. And there was flames that were slowly rotating around and it was very powerful seeing all these frames, flames, but they were not at all um, foreboding or frightening. You know, it was just like, yeah, this is like great. <laughs> and uh, because the energy that was coming from it was just like making me feel so incredibly loved. And I thought this is, and at that moment I had this, this uh this moment of telepathy where i said where i was told this is this is the source of all creation this is it this is god you know this is not uh god in the human form as, as a, or whatever as in most faiths um this is it's a tunnel of white light a very intense tunnel of white light that's coming in towards me and i know that some people who've had ndes as i've since found out do enter into that tunnel and they go beyond but that wasn't to be the case for me um I figured that I'd learned all I needed to know because I didn't make the decision to come back. You know, they sent me back when they felt the time was right. So, um, so it was literally at that point. I mean, it was, it was a very euphoric moment. So it was a great, a great moment to come back uh, because interestingly enough, when I came straight back into my body, I was straight back into the pain body and I was straight back into the loudness of the hospital and you know, the, the brightness of the fluorescent strips was like, Oh, you know, and the noise was like too much, but do you know what? I was just felt so much joy inside me. I was just thrilled with all this uh, experience that I didn't really care. All I could think of was, wow, I mean, that was amazing. Why have they sent me back? You know, what is my mission? So, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because I know a lot of people say it feels like they were being stuffed back because your soul is so expansive. In fact, as you've been speaking, I've been sort of distracted because I can see this has literally never happened to me and it sounds so... I know to some it will sound 
I always say woo woo, but it's like, as you're talking, I see the brightest aura around you and I don't, I've been trying to learn to see them and I haven't been able to. Oh, yeah. And I, all I see is this huge aura around you and it's a, a bright white light. So it's reminding me and I'm watching you talk, but I'm seeing your or I'm not looking at your body. And um, oh, so it's really interesting because it have, I haven't been able to see that before, but it's because your soul is so expansive, but it is confined to this body a bit in this, in this world. And so I know yes. that being kind of stuffed back in, I've heard it described as um, can be a little bit jarring, but I love that you brought back with you that joy. Did you feel, I know that people um, having lived in Europe myself, I know that people from um, the UK especially tend to be more reserved than we Americans are. Yeah. Um, and you're not as, <laughs> you know, you don't share as much personal stuff or you're not as gushy, but did you feel the need to share this with oh, yeah, totally. the doctors, the people? Um, what was your experience with that? Well, I, I felt the urge to do that, but I, at the same time, I was very precious about it as well because it was so important to me that I didn't want people to be going, yeah, 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 okay, you know, sort of, I really wanted people to get it. And I, because I, I knew nothing about near death experiences. So for me, it just felt like, you know, I was the only person that had been through at that, at that stage. So, and I thought, well, what, how am I going to tell people about this? And uh, I told, I started telling, you know, my family and, and my friends when they came to visit me, you know, but just selected one, you know, it took me a couple of weeks to tell my parents actually. Um, purely because as I said earlier they were Christian and it was important to me that they understood what had happened they got it but with their faith I thought you know the gears might grind a bit uh, with it all and um, but when I told them it was, it was the most beautiful experience because they just sat there um, and when I finished um, my mom turned around and said yes we know and I was going you know and I said how do you know and I, I said she said it's just that whenever we come to see you, we, we leave here, you know, and we say, you've got all these tubes attached to you and you can hardly move, but you're just glowing with this light and energy and you're giving out all this love to anyone around with you, even the nurses, you know, and they, they, they detected all that to my amazement. And so that was really wonderful. So, um, yeah. Wow, so you, yeah. But I decided. Oh, go ahead. So, sorry. No, no, come on, please. I was yeah. just going to say that they noticed a change in you. Um, not to say that you weren't already a loving person, but just that they could see a shift in you. And most people who've just been run over by a train would be in pretty depressed shape. Um, yeah. But that you still, despite your injuries, as they said, had a glow. How, yeah. and, and, and I want you to um, continue with your thought as well, but I also wanted to know um, at this point, what were your physical injuries? What were you left with? And what was the, um, I guess, prognosis in terms of what's your mobility going to be and how long it's going to take to recover from this? Yeah, well, um, they weren't sure at all. You know, they, they first prognosis was going to be months in hospital and, and they weren't sure. Um, but then they were amazed at uh, how well I'd come out from it considering that I'd actually been under the wheels, I'd been under the train and been thrown around. They, uh, you know, the, the rail police, who, the UK rail police did a massive inquiry in it and it took them a year to come up with their conclusions. And they finished and they said, look, we're finished now. But they said, you know what? We've done all our figures and our maths and you should not have survived that. You know, you should be dead. <laughs> I said, I know. I said something greater. I didn't say it to them, but I, I knew that something greater than both me, them, and the whole train, and the whole, it saved me that day. Something really huge. 
uh, took place. Um, but um, that some that hugeness also protected me from coming out a lot worse than what I could have done. I mean, it's it, the worst thing was, as I say, was my left arm being severed. So that really was like um, physically that was that was that was an enormous amount of pain. And I begged them actually when I, when they took me into into the first operation, they I said, please don't. Can you save my arm? And I said to the surgeon, and he said, yeah. I mean, synchronicity is amazing, right? Because this guy had just started working at the hospital only a few weeks before. So he was like a young, keen surgeon. And he decided to hold his promise. He's a lovely guy. And so he did three eight-and-a-half operations on that arm to save it. And I've still got it. It's not fully functioning, which is incredible, you know. And so... That was synchronicity. I could have just had, a, you know, any another guy. I just thought, yeah, okay, because he said on the notes, you know, it said amputate, and they didn't do. But um, yeah, um, I mean, it's not me about. I mean, it's 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 it's. I'm not the same person that, that I was before. You know, I haven't got the same f- form ability, but you know, I can walk. I can walk around fine. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, and I know. Okay, so uh, we're gonna cut to your gifts what kind of when was it that you discovered either this drive to paint had you painted before start with that i know um had you studied well let's let's say them both had you studied had you painted it all before had you studied music at all had you played music at all before any of this happened sure yeah well when i was a kid you know i enjoyed uh, painting and drawing at school but nothing to this kind of scale whatsoever and and I couldn't have gone to art school anyhow because my my school turned around and said, "Look, you've got you're, you've got no qualification hopes, which means you've got to go and work in the factory." And I kept saying, "Well, I'd like to be an artist, or I'd like to be a cook, or you know, all these creative things." And they said, "No, you've got what you've got to do. You you need qualifications for all that stuff." You know, so I was discouraged. Um, music wise, I am, um, I, yeah, I taught myself uh, electric guitar, and so I like most kids you know i joined a band and could thrash out three chords you know and i was doing like sort of sort of sort of punk pop or whatever you know um and that was what i was but that's my basic training in music um so to go on and write classical music for orchestra uh no i had none of that whatsoever so so it's it's pr- that's really astounding you know to, even yeah. to um the conductors who, who have conducted my pieces they say they've said they've been to university to study musical and classical writing you know composition and they said that they wouldn't even attempt to do what i've done so and you can't re- and you don't read or write music from what i understand no i still don't know i still i can't read a single note of the musical notation um you know thankfully for computers i'm able to yeah. uh, you know convert it which i can tell you about how that happens yeah. um so uh, but but ultimately it takes more than that you know it's you know this, it's no it's I, i'm not trying to large myself up here but, no, I'm but just, it, you know i couldn't just, i mean even if i had the tools i wouldn't know how to compose put the notes together i wouldn't know how to express them even if i heard them in my head that's not something that i would instinctually know how to do that's something that i would have to learn um how yeah. to you know phrase even just uh, not phrasing but uh, comp- well, composing. I mean, composing yeah, and, and yeah. arranging. I mean, arra- I don't yeah. know how to do arrangements. I don't know how to do composing. What At what point did you start? For some reason, I have it in my mind that you started painting before you started composing, but did you... You're right on that, actually, of, yeah. Yeah. What, when did you say, okay, I'm starting to feel like I'm not the same, but I'm ready to do something creative? And what inspired you to pick up a brush or pick up uh, music? Well, the very first night in the hospital 
I decided there and then I was going to do a painting because as I said to you earlier, I thought, how am I going to explain this to everybody? And I thought, I oh, know I'm going to do a painting. And I thought it's going to be the biggest painting. It's going to be like the big ones that you see in Rome in the Vatican, you know, the big Renaissance star paintings of all the biblical scenes. Michelangelo, yeah. I thought that's, yeah, Michelangelo, yes. Yeah. So I thought it's got to be like that so people will get it. And I was ambitious and I thought, I didn't even think twice about it. I never thought, oh yeah, but I can't do that. You know, there's, I still got this energy that was coming through me. I was, it, in all that fairness, I felt like I still got a strong connection to me while I was throughout the hospital period to the other side. And they were giving me all this energy and strength and confidence still. So yeah, so that's what I decided I was gonna do. So as soon as I was fit enough to actually start painting, uh, I got to work on it. And I, so I, I got a big canvas laid out in front of me and um i was apprehensive uh, you know because again i didn't want to mess it up i wanted to get this right you know and um but as i started painting it was amazing you know the colors started going on there and it started coming together really well and i thought i'd stop at the end of each day and I'd go wow that's this isn't just me that's doing all this you know yeah i'm getting help here and so uh, I realized from that very early stage that I was channeling ideas through, I was being educated how to do this, you know, and uh, yeah, so it was really wonderful. Yeah, I, and I've seen your work and of course it will have been shown in the intro to this interview um, and it's, it's <laughs> astounding and it's difficult to, how can you, I'm, I draw a bit, I don't do it anymore, I did it more as a kid just because I'm, I come from, my mother's side of the family is very artistic, my uncle and my cousin are extremely talented artists my cousin's now a tattoo artist but and my mother's very very creative but I I inherited and my uncle on my dad's side was an artist but it's just enough so that I can draw but it takes me a lot of effort and I, I can draw the face but the eyes are uneven or I can draw the face but I can't draw hands and so I always became frustrated with it and to imagine trying to paint something that's beyond description from what I understand their colors that a lot of people see that aren't even colors in this world. So how can you paint a color that doesn't exist in our in our realm uh, and that sort of thing? So it's amazing to be able to say, I, either you're like you're being channeled and it's being given to you as opposed to, yeah. um, it's, it's trying to put words to the wordless or images to something that just we can't even imagine in our wildest dreams except based on the paradigm that we have established in our minds. Um, and then at what at what point did you say, you know what I, hearing were you hearing music in your head that you wanted to put down or did you say oh I suddenly feel compelled to sort of try out this new computer program and see what comes out of it <laughs> no that, that all came along afterwards actually um it's it came it's it came through where I started having spiritual healing uh when when I came out of hospital because I wanted to find a spiritualist church that I knew was nearby when I and I wanted to go there because I thought they're going to get it if I talk about my story you know I needed to really talk to people and and un unravel it, you know, and they did, they totally got it. And uh, the very first evening, I, I, they said to me, look, we do spiritual healing. You look in a pretty bad way there, you know, I was still pretty banged up with all plaster attached to me, you know, and I said, yeah, great. So I've never stopped, I still go. Uh, but the first uh, sessions that I started going to, uh, some of the healers are clairvoyant, and they started giving me messages saying, why am I hearing violins? And I said, I've no idea. And then one of them turned around to me and said, they're telling me that you're going to write a piece of music about your experience. And when they say they, they're talking about the guides that they're channeling the energy through in the healing sessions. And um, I said, wow, okay. So I went home 
and uh, I couldn't play guitar anymore because my left arm was, was so bashed up. But I got an old cheap synthesizer in the loft and I got that down. And I thought I was going to write a, a three-minute song because that's all I knew. I never thought about orchestras at all. Then I did hear this lovely chord progression um, and I that came through one night. So I jumped up in the, in the morning and got this synthesizer out and then I all I got was an old cassette recorder and I recorded it onto that. And I just built it from there and just kept recording it and recording it and playing it back. And um, my brother's classically trained. He said, look, I can help you out. I've got some software that you can, I'll, I'll send it to you and you can attach it to, I'm going to give you a laptop and you can attach it to that. And when you play on your keyboard, it will then transpose it into musical format. So that's what I did. And again, synchronicity. Um, I'd met a cellist uh, around that time as well, and we used to meet for coffee, and she was quite spiritual as well. And she said, oh, what's going on? So I told her where I was at, and I said that uh, I'm starting to write some music. And I said, it sounds like it should be played by an orchestra. And she said, oh, well, maybe our orchestra could perform it, you know. But she was saying it quite like, like in fun, you know. Yeah. And I thought, no, that'd be great. So I'd still got this same sort of uh, ambition that, I could do this so I put I really worked to get it together and uh and then I I got back in touch with her I said do you remember that conversation well can you would you have a look at the score so the orchestra looked at it and they said yeah we'll perform it so they they um they said they perform it which was amazing so um, um and the concert itself uh sold out which was unbelievable yeah, that's I, but that's what I understand and I heard that you yeah. received a standing ovation as well that's right, yeah. So it, 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 I realized then that I, the help that I was getting, that the guidance and the, the channeling that was coming through was not only coming through the paintings, it was coming through me helping to write that music. And now it's coming into play, helping this whole event come together. Um, because it, it started by me, the orchestra saying, would you say a few words to the lo local press? I said, yeah, sure. And I spoke to them and they said, hang on, you're the guy who went under the train, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And they said, this is going on the front cover, you know. Yeah. So from then the phone kept ringing and then the BBC said, we want to come and film the rehearsal. And of course, it, two weeks in advance, it sold out and uh, which the orchestra were like, wow, this is amazing. So uh, it, it, it was interesting because there was no sense of like, hey, you know, this is, I'm, I'm going to be big. You know, it was more like brilliant. This is, means more people are going to come and get, this message because that's all I wanted because the whole piece was a, all about my near-death experience of three movements to it and it takes you through the whole journey and I just wanted them to experience it which they did the atmosphere that night was just incredible it was just remarkable it was just I, you know I just go reel my mind back to it sometimes and you know when I started hearing the recordings afterwards uh, you know I used to cry at the end each time I heard it back purely because it was so amazing that night yeah yeah, and I know from, I was telling a friend today, one of the reasons I am so passionate about what I'm doing here is, I said, the people that I'm meeting and surrounding myself with and becoming friends with, I said in the spiritual community, look, we're all still human. But yeah. the people I know who've had near-death experiences are the most non-judgmental, non-self-centered people that I've ever met in my life. So I already know if they've had a true near-death experience and I screened, I will not just interview someone because they had an, say they had a near-death experience. It needs, because people will make it up. You know, there are people that are mentally ill that will make it up because they need the attention or something. But I said, it's that sense that you understand, you've received the message. This isn't about you. You weren't 
basking in the glow because it was about you and you had a right. I mean, honestly, it would be okay if you did. It's okay to feel good about yourself. It's okay to be proud of your accomplishments. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. But at the same no, time, not. when you said that, I already knew what you meant. You were, you were eager in awe of the, it's the, it's spirit. You're giving spirit the credit, but you're also wanting to share an important message with people. You want people to feel that sense because despite what you went through and you could have ended up bitter, depressed, angry, you know, what's, why did this happen to me? What, you know, but you already received the message that yes, I'm sure it's been difficult and there aren't, I'm not saying mm -hmm. that all the time. I assume that you're like, Oh, this is fantastic, but you've been able mm -hmm. to see the, the gift in it. And you just want to share that message with other people. And you just, and you understand more than the average person that we are all one. And that by, by giving other people this message, you're doing something very healing for all of humanity. Um, just as you wouldn't hurt someone yeah. else because it would be hurting yourself. And that was the thing I was saying to my friend today that I That's just lovely. love the people in this community because there's just this kindness. Yeah. I already know that there, no one's going to give me a hard time or we're, we're going to be very loving. I'm not a near death experiencer, but that I know that the, the people that I've met, it isn't about them yeah. and they understand yeah. that message. And so I think it's beautiful that you're doing this as a gift. You're, you're being of service with your art. You're being of service with your music. And all I think all musicians and artists are. You're in, because you're giving someone joy. You're making someone feel. And that that is, I think, you know, what what we are here to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely true. You know, because um, it was interesting. I was watching some old footage on TV last night of Jimi Hendrix performing. And whenever I, I see him perform now, I just think, wow, he's just channeling. Yeah. You know, you watch the way when he's playing that guitar, it's like it's taken over him. It's like he's not, he's, there's no sort of, he's not thinking it through at all. You know, he's, his eyes are closed nearly all the time. And he's just like, it's just going right through his soul and right onto that keyboard of the, of the fretboard, sorry, of, of the guitar. It's just amazing. Yeah, and I, so, I had yeah. that conversation recently too, that yes, I mean, they said something like, is art, channeled i said it is it it's not it it is yeah. channeled it's it's obviously you've put in the work and the time to learn your craft and it also yeah. is born with a certain creativity it's your words maybe it's it's your words and you're based on your life experiences but i think anything that's creative is 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 a sense is a sort of channeling and like you mm -hmm. said when you watch Jimi hendrix play you get chills you're amazed that gift that he had and that that passion and that energy why yeah. do we love him? Because he makes us feel something and he, he, that's what life is really about. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so it's, it, well, it's the same with sportsmen as well, to be honest with you. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You watch, that's why, that's why we love watching the best. You know, if you think about it, tennis, for example, is, is quite a, a tedious, boring event, but yeah. to watch it, especially if you watch it live, I went to Wimbledon a couple of years ago and it's like a different experience and you sit there for hours on end, just watching two guys whacking a ball backwards and forwards. But you are watching them, they're channeling energy as well because they're, they're in the moment. They're not concerned about, they're not thinking about the past and they're not concerned about the future. Not really. They're just concerned on the moment and, and, and intensely enjoying that match. And so it's, it's, that's why we like watching them. So, yeah. Very well said. When you came out of your experience and possibly to this day, did you notice any new abilities to tap into um, psychic awareness, mediumship? Did you find that your intuition was heightened? Can you judge people better? Uh, how do you, how do you, 
how do you move through the world diff more different? Uh, how do you world move through the world differently now? But also, do you have you found that you have more clairvoyant abilities? I wouldn't say that I am now. I wouldn't say that I've gained uh, clairvoyant abilities. I've, I've gained awareness of knowing that um, my guides work with me, that they're with me, and there are times when I, you know, I face adversity and I, I suddenly get little signals that. Uh, you know, suddenly I'll look at my computer screen and it will click 11.11. And I know that's quite a common thing that people use. So that's great to have little things like that if you're not clairvoyant, you know, because that means you are getting a signal. And I think it's good to follow, you know, because it's very comforting. Um, I mean, interestingly enough, when I did come out, out of my near-death experience, I was so filled with joy and euphoria. And I just I suddenly very felt very in touch with with the planet, with with nature uh, all around me but also the universe itself i felt a very strong connection with it because i felt that's where I, well that's where i'd just been and it so there was there's an awful lot of knowledge that i came back with about all that that i felt but six months later i remember uh, i suddenly crashed i went into a deep depression because i suddenly realized that i couldn't I couldn't fit into the world anymore you know i was because i was just filled with all this love i just wanted to give it out and and it's just not possible it's just not feasible you know in society that's just it's society's not geared up for that you know it was okay when i was in hospital or whatever you know because i was recovering but once i had to get back out in the world and just try and you know get back amongst society and what have you it was just like ah oh, i couldn't i couldn't deal with it so i had to re-educate myself if you like to sort of to be able to do that so but that sensitivity has, has never gone away and that awareness uh that strong awareness and and stuff is, is very much there and it's, it's very predominant and it stays with you and why would you say that this did happen to you in terms of what you may have learned even like i said the first few pages of your book say so much just in mm. your description of your interaction with your house guest, Anna, your friend, yeah, and how there was right, this yeah. holding back without saying a lot about uh, the, sure. the actual dynamic. I definitely heard and just felt that there was something in you that was sort of a, maybe I'm, if I'm misinterpreting, obviously it's your experience, that there was all the, also this sort of maybe fear of intimacy and wanting to isolate and you were holding, maybe you felt, I don't know, maybe you felt you didn't deserve it. Maybe you weren't ready didn't feel you had enough to That's offer right. whatever it was it yeah. felt yeah. to me yeah. like there was some self-esteem stuff or why can't i just get close or why am i pushing her away and so in that sense i was interested to know has that changed but also what do you think the purpose of this happening or if there was do you think that the, this yeah. happened for a reason yeah 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 i do think it, i think everything happens for a reason and i think it did happen for a reason for me and i, I think that it was like uh, it it's not it wasn't a wake-up call i wouldn't call it that it was more that it was kind of my life i didn't know how how to interact in my life as i as i pointed out earlier because basically i was a i was a sensitive soul but i was being thrown into a sort of like uh, a kind of community that was full of people that weren't really that way inclined and so the gears were totally grinding so i never really knew myself so i never really had any confidence because I was also hanging out with a lot of people who were working in in the the music industry and stuff like that and they were doing really well and i thought well they've left school without qualifications and and they're doing well why not me so but they were never going to let me into that society so it's kind of having this mirror up all the time saying 
you're a failure. You can't even fit into this. You know, you're, you're just not, you're a nobody. You know, that's how I felt. So I figured that I got to the stage where I was broke and I didn't know where I was going to go from that stage onwards. So I don't think I could have gone anywhere from, to be honest with you. So I figured that it, it happened to literally give me this huge, beautiful uh, ed- education that um, I was okay and that I had got a chance in life to do something. And, and that lesson was to be authentic to myself. And I had never done that before. And as soon as I started to be authentic to myself, then things started to evolve and things started to happen. Yeah. Boy, do I relate with that. That's a real, I think, I think about all the years where I, this whole time in my life, I was like doing what I thought I should do. I knew I was an artist. I had all this passion. I went to college. I studied film. Then I got out in the world and I thought, well, I better make some money. So I'm going to work for a shipping supplies company and be a customer service rep. And people kept telling me, you're an artist. You're an artist. What are you doing? And I just said, because I, I have to do this because I, I, there was this misunderstanding that to be an artist meant to struggle or to be poor or, and also, well, I don't even know what an artist means. I'm not I can't draw. I'm not, a, I'm not a musician. What does that mean? And so for mm. 20 years doing the thing, well, I guess I should work in an office. I wasn't thriving. I wasn't even making good money. I was just doing what I thought I was supposed to do. And every, at every opportunity, I'd push creativity away. And it only, took, only in my 40s did I start to, yes, I can make a living as a voice actor. I'm not going to be poor. I'm actually going to have more abundance because I, I'm being myself. Yes, I'm a, you know, into psychic and medium stuff. And who cares what people think about it? It's who I am. It's what I'm here to do. It's doing this kind of thing, having these conversations, being afraid of judgment, or people are going to think that's weird or, um, you know, and when, and when you finally settle into yourself and think, why did it take me this long to just do what I do and be who I am and um, never have I been happier. So and being yeah. authentic about who, not trying to be what you think you're supposed to be or what you think people will approve of, but realizing that, like I said, you are enough the way you are. And mm-hmm. um, even if you didn't have these beautiful gifts that you have, but we, I believe we all have gifts. Your gift yeah, could yeah, be totally, being a, yeah. a mathematician. I'm not a mathematical mm-hmm. person. Your gift could be, it could be technical. It could be that you're a, a welder, but everyone yeah, no, has no, certainly, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's it this, this is what i keep saying you know it's um you don't have to have uh, a horrible accident or a near-death experience to suddenly realize that you've got all these things within you and they don't necessarily mean that you're going to be an artist or a musician like as you pointed out you could suddenly be a welder you get these you see these stories on the, all the time in the news where you get these guys who who are like working in the city you know, on the stock market mm-hmm. and they suddenly just say do you know what i've had enough and they sell up and they go and you know buy a farm or what have you and they suddenly become you know really happy farmers you know planting whatever you know yeah. and uh so that's it they they they're being authentic to themselves they obviously clearly weren't comfortable in that world um so so yeah we've all got it within us to to find that authentic well i mean let's look back at the last 12 months how many people especially at the beginning of the pandemic were suddenly realizing all these gifts you know because I thought, oh, hello, you know, when it all started to happen, we got all these guys on Zoom sort of saying, look, you know, we're, I've been painting today, I've been baking bread, I've never done that before, you know, I've been teaching my kids and all these different things. I thought, this is amazing, this is great, everyone's getting this opportunity to stop 
and be in the moment and then start to find their authentic selves. But I don't know whether it really lasted though, because people started getting impatient and then saying, well, when are things going to be back to normal? Which was, which was kind of sad. I thought, no, go with it. You know, I felt the same way. In fact, that's when I finally, after two years started this podcast, it was like something I'd always wanted to do, but never had the bandwidth for. And I was, if it wasn't work, I had social obligations. I had to be somewhere all the time. And um, I, apart from the fact that I'm sorry that people have died and people have lost loved ones, of course, like yeah. this is actually the most productive I've ever been. And I'm, and I'm mm. so happy to watch other people coming into their own and other people. I mean, that's why podcasts are just blowing up because everyone's like, well, this no time like the present. I've always wanted yes, to explore this thing or do this <laughs> right, thing. But- I think it's been it. I actually really felt that that was part of the. It, it was an intentional. Not that wasn't the only reason why this happened from a spiritual perspective. I think yeah, it was a lot yeah. bigger. It was to help us yeah, evolve yeah. as as a collective in by having to confront yeah. a lot of difficult things. But exactly. also, yeah. Yeah. I think it was there was that gift in we're all running, at least in America, we're all running too fast and we need to be present as you stated earlier, connect with our loved ones, even though we can't necessarily be in their presence. I've talked with more friends during the pandemic than I ever did because there's Zoom and it's Mm. actually forcing us to find creative ways to connect so that it takes a little more effort and then we make it happen and we create things together. I think it's been in a sense, I want to keep part of that. I want to keep having this downtime. Yeah. I think it's Good. important. Yeah. Now, I know that yeah. you talked about that feeling of having to come back and it's difficult to suddenly learn to be a human after being knowing what it's, remembering what it's like to be a soul. Have you found, mm. I know that you've connected with other people uh, through, I, I'm assuming you're part of, um, is it, do they pronounce it I-A-N-D-S? Is that, the irons irons right like and and that sort of thing i don't know if that's what you do but have you been able to connect Mm. with other people and find some i have yeah 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 yeah. i'm going to be doing um a thing with irons actually uh, uh, later this year uh, in november Uh, i'll be a guest speaker for their for their their book club so that's really good um but there'll be yeah a lot of other people I've, i've done two sort of um annual online mine NDE summits uh, which have been really great so that from doing those I got to connect with quite a few various people in in the sort of field uh, of near-death experiences a lot of people have had them and so it's been great connecting with them you know the last one we did it was quite fun because we we kind of had like a a kind of a virtual green room you know (laughs) which is like we all got together the night before just disconnect and make sure that you know technically we were all set up and what ready to go and stuff and and we just had fun and we all just got chatting to each other and it was like really lovely to be amongst like-minded souls you know so yeah and I've been interviewed by by a few people that had near-death experiences as well in that in that world and uh so we kind of chatted before and afterwards as well and then we we always go oh what did you feel this in the hospital afterwards I go yeah I got that as well you know like for example just funny little things like I was incredibly charged with static electricity you know and i know there is a lot of static in hospitals but i was like sort of like you know ten thousand volts it's just like you know any of the i remember all the, the guys had to whenever they had to move my bed down to the next into theater or whatever you know they were like didn't want to touch my bed it's like oh you know and uh, everyone says that you know they say yeah i got that yeah i was just like jumping jack flash so 
yeah so, so it's funny so it's, it's it's kind of cool yeah just to be able to connect and you get moments of affirmation really which is what it, what you want you know you're not looking for moments of confirmation on it it's just sort of like yeah that's lovely that you felt that too yeah yeah and you don't have to explain it they already know um do you yeah. still find that you i've heard that that a lot of people felt that electric actually i think almost everyone i've talked to said that they felt that electricity do you still feel sensations like that do you still feel it yeah. was it immediately after or does that linger with you not all the time but at least it sometime? was a lot more powerful right at the very beginning as, as i say i felt like i'd got this umbilical cord attached to the other side for quite a long time when i was in hospital and uh, so that energy was very much there um but um I, I still feel it now especially when i go to spiritual healing um and when i do meditation as well i feel it you know because basically i'm able to just kind of then it's all because I'm going into the moment. It's all because I'm shutting out what's, whatever's happening in the world around me. And, and I'm connecting with my guides directly and I'm connecting with the universe. And, and I feel very much a part of that energy that I felt at, in the NDE itself coming through on and being healed. So in essence, again, you don't have to have the, uh, the experience I went through to, to, reached that point you know i mean i've 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 taken other friends along i took my sister along to spiritual healing and they felt it too you know they really came out you know really i'd really i saw this i could see the change in them as well so they weren't kind of going oh yeah you know that was good isn't it you know i could see there was like yeah that that was brilliant you you got it and stuff so yeah that's really cool I, i love hearing that too because ever since i started studying mediumship and becoming a medium i feel it every day i feel electricity in my body and a a few friends have said "Uh, maybe you should get that checked out by a doctor and i'm like i know it's not i mean i will just to be to rule it out but i said no other mediums have told me it's the same feeling i described it uh, i took a class with monica the medium um and she i said i feel i don't know if you have this if you've seen these but they're those uh head massage things they look like a spider yes Uh, they used to have them at sharper image when that was still a thing and it feels exactly like that's happening to me like it feels like that and it goes all the way down so i call it spirit tingles and i told monica she said that i have described it as that exact same device when i'm channeling i feel that thing and i I feel it right now whenever i talk about spirit i start to get it and it doesn't it's not like a chill it's not like when you watch something uh, that no, makes, no, it's no. a different it's an actual electric feeling that travels so i know when i'm doing a mediumship Absolutely. reading yeah. unfortunately i've come to rely on it a bit too much so that when i don't feel it i'm like am i ch- are they there am i am i getting this right but when i say something <laughs> and i give someone a message and the spirit's trying to say yes you got that right i get it goes all the way down from my scalp all the way down my leg and it's this incredible feeling that if it didn't feel so good i probably would go to the doctor but it feels so you don't wonderful. need to go to the doctor no <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about so yeah yeah, yeah that, that's most certainly you're most certainly getting energy coming through there yeah because i get that same sensation i know that's a brilliant description those little funny things you know they used to do the head, head massages yeah, yeah like it is like that beautiful co- and it sometimes happens out of nowhere and now i know to recognize that is oh there's someone here that is trying to communicate or at least just be there with yeah. me. They might not be able to be trying to say anything, but when I feel it, I'll, I'll say, oh, hi, grandma. Or, you know, hey, who is it? Who's, who's here? Give me, tell me who's here. And it's so validating mm. to hear that from you as well, because sometimes I, I started to look up online, paresthesia, is this, 
is there something I should be concerned about? But all of the, the, every symptom, it's like, these are the symptoms of this, this, and that. I'm like, I already know I'm not diabetic. I know that I don't have MS. I know that th there are these things. So it's a really incredible thing that it only started happening when I began meditating and intending to connect with spirit. So I think it's just mm. beautiful. And like I said, when I see, look at you and I see a halo of an aura around you, we are energy. It makes perfect yeah, sense yeah. that we're energy. It's, uh, totally, that's it. We are all energy, most certainly. That's really cool. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I guess, what is there anything that, well, maybe not that I haven't asked, but if there was, if you could tell someone who's never, who's not familiar with this or, or actually anyone at all, if you could just share a message with the world, what do you, what do you want people to know? Um, well, first of all, the obvious one would be that I want people not to fear death, uh, not only for themselves, but also for their loved ones, you know, because when we lose our loved ones, we're, we're obviously the, underneath. It's, the big fear is, oh, where are they going to go after this? But be rest assured that the, you know, that, that the soul lives on. The soul is a powerful en entity, entity, sorry. And, and there's no way it just switches off like a light. The, the body does, the body decays, but the soul continues. And where it goes is such an amazing place. It's so beautiful, as I talked about. And uh, it, it awaits us all, basically. So death is not to be feared. But the other thing is, is, is to um, try to, try to, be in the moment, try meditation, try spiritual healing, try whatever you can, or, or Reiki healing, it doesn't matter, whatever you do, um, try to be in the moment, because once you do that, you can then start to experience this unconditional love will start to come through to you automatically. Um, and then not only that, you will start to find um, your inner strength, your inner self, your authentic self, and you'll find self-confidence in and self-belief and all those things are really important and once you start to find all those ingredients you'll realize that uh, synchronicity will come into your into your pathway and and doors will slowly open in front of you that are meant to open and and take you through so that's why that's what i really feel is really my most important message to bring back here that really is a beautiful message that definitely resonates with me i've seen it happening and i i think that's a beautiful place I think that's a beautiful thing to leave with people. So I really appreciate you Great. sharing, being vulnerable enough, again, as a, as a, a man from the UK, who, you know, who uh, <laughs> I know, you know, you can be stoic and tight lipped, but it really means a lot <laughs> for you to show your vulnerability and share it with people Thank with you. the yeah. hope that people will receive that message of hope, let go of a fear of death. Yes, we're all going to grieve when we lose someone that's human. It's okay. It doesn't mean don't grieve or feel feelings. But I think it's really such a good message to go through life without that fear of death so that we can really live. Um, and so yeah. I, I appreciate your time and your energy for showing up. I know you've done thousands of right. these interviews and it means the world to have you said yes to share that with oh, me course. and my yeah, audience. It's my pleasure. I re I, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Thanks for such I'm so engaging bad. questions. Yeah. Oh, I really yeah. appreciate that. It means the world. And um, again, uh, David's book is called Shine On. I'm going to post links at the bottom. David, cool. you have a website. 
Can you tell us what that is? That's right, yeah. Uh, the website is called shineonthestory.com. So that's basically it. So if you go there, and you'll, you, you'll find you'll be able to hear the music there, actually, for the, the symphony that I talked about. You can stream that for free. Um, and you can see some of my paintings. And you'll see links for my YouTube channel and all the others are on there as well. But you, you said you're going to put them up, which is really kind of you. So, so please do, yeah. And then the book, if people do want to buy it, then obviously, you know, you can go through amazon pretty much anywhere in the world at the moment so yeah wonderful thank you again <laughs> david for for sharing your story and your my pleasure light with us